number one goal is for people in couples therapy to feel understood and seen by me, but also safe enough with me so that I can call them on their shit and they cannot feel judged or shamed by it. That's like that really hard balance to strike that I'm working at the second they call me before they even come into the office. Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Melissa Fulgeri, therapist and consultant living and working in New York City. Melissa, this is your second time on Normalize the Conversation. I am so excited and so thankful for you because it is so important that we have these conversations and your willingness to come back on and to continue the conversation is just amazing. So thank you. You're so welcome. I'm so happy to be here. You're my favorite 501c3. You're so sweet. So how are you really? Um, I think I'm better than when you last asked me that question. Um, Because we last talked when in July, maybe of, of 2021? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So that was, I, I was okay back then, but it, you know, like with COVID and the uncertainty, I think there was like this looming sort of like fear of, oh, what's going to happen. And now I'm feeling a little bit like we don't know what's going to happen and we're just going to have to be okay with it. So I think I'm better than I was the last time I saw you. I love to hear that. And that point of acceptance is so important. And that's something we're all struggling with right now is there is so much unknown. There is a lot more unknown than there really was in the beginning of this year. Totally. And it can be so overwhelming, but to be able to accept that, that you don't know, and that's okay. And you're just going to go with it and go through it is so powerful. Yeah. That's what they tell me at least. So today we're going to talk about couples therapy. So before we jump into that too much, can you just give like a quick definition or understanding of what couples therapy is? Yeah. So couples therapy is really the modality um, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? It is therapy with couples, meaning, you know, there's a couple of different reasons why people come in, um, but it's usually for either a proactive reason or a reactive reason. And then myself as the couples therapist, I work with the two people to work through whatever it is that has brought them in, in terms of either a crisis or a goal or both. You know, I love how you said it's either proactive or reactive. I think when we think of couples therapy, we think of reactive where Mm -hmm. we're kind of at that point if we should get divorced, should we get divorced? Maybe this is our last chance to save our marriage. And that's what we see couples therapy as when really Mm -hmm. it could be something that is proactive and kind of preventative of getting to that point. Yeah, absolutely. I really believe in the proactive piece of couples therapy because I think I've I've seen firsthand how difficult the work is when you're coming in 15 to 20 years into a lot of resentment building. And that's a totally different experience in couples therapy than it is with the clients who I work with who are about to get married or about to venture into something new, like um, like having a baby. 
that's a different type of couples work with which I think is just as important if not more I completely agree so now you've touched a little bit on like those life events and that proactive approach what are some of the other common reasons that people go to couples therapy Yeah, so I'm thinking about my own caseload, and I think I have a bunch of folks who come in before they get married, and they want like a very um, targeted premarital counseling, but they're not religious, right? So like in the Catholic faith, there's something called pre-cana, which people will do, but a lot of times when people are more looking for something more secular, um, they go to a couples therapist to do premarital counseling. So that's definitely one thing. The other thing or the other... Um, bunch of people is proactive, but um, more related to like a communication breakdown or an intimacy breakdown. They're saying, you know what, like our sex life is not that exciting anymore, but we want to nip it in the bud before it becomes a huge problem. And then I have couples who come in after a huge crisis, whether that's infidelity or, um, you know, trauma Um, and those folks are looking for both crisis intervention and then also to help with whatever was needed that led to the crisis. I love how you bring up that point, whatever is needed that, or whatever happened that I can't think of the words, but that led to the crisis (laughs) because there is that underlining cause. And a lot of times we don't approach that. We go straight to what happened instead of why it happened and fixing why it happened so that doesn't happen again. Yep. So you talked a lot about these different proactive and kind of life stressors that are reasons people go to couples therapy, but what does that look like when they walk in? What is what look like, like my intake process or what I'm thinking or what they're, what like the first session, like what's the thing that's most interesting to you? Let's talk about both. Okay. Um, So when people come in, they are usually, uh, my first initial goal is to figure out the presenting problem it's called. So the why, why are you here? And that's, and people are, are pretty outright with it. So they'll either say, listen, my partner cheated and I'm pissed, or they'll say, listen, we're thinking about getting a divorce, but we don't know if that's the right route. Or they'll say, you know what, we've always wanted to try couples therapy, but we never, you know, there was never a reason. And we just thought, let's try it. So like, that's sort of the first part. And then when they, when we decide that we're a good fit and they actually come into my office or, or my zoom office, um, then really the first thing that I'm doing is trying to build rapport, which creates safety. And I'm trying to assess like major assessment stuff happening, um, which is really just me watching and me asking questions to see what's the pattern that gets this couple stuck that has led to why ever they wanted to come see me. I love how you talked about building rapport first Mm -hmm. of all, because that is such a crucial part of therapy so that you can feel comfortable talking to the therapist. And we don't realize Mm -hmm. that that is one part of that clinical interview stage. And then going into that assessment and figuring out why are you here? I think a lot of times with couple therapy, people feel 
afraid because they might just pick one side and right away they're going to totally. walk in the door and the therapist is going to pick one side and that's it. And totally. if they don't pick my side, then it's a big deal and I don't want to be there. But knowing that you're actually sitting there listening, watching and assessing the situation as a whole is so important. Yeah, totally. That's my, my number one goal is for people in couples therapy to feel understood and seen by me, but also safe enough with me so that I can call them on their shit and they cannot feel judged or shamed by it. That's like that really hard balance to strike that I'm working at the second they call me before they even come into the office. That is huge being able to create that safety. So thinking of those different fears and misconceptions people have of couples therapy, what do you think are some of the big ones? Well, you said one, right? This idea that like, I'm a woman. So if I'm seeing a heterosexual couple, I'm automatically going to take the the woman's side. Um, What I'll say about that is a couple things. So I'm trained, right? Like I'm not just some lady off the street that's like giving you advice. I'm trained specifically not to over identify too strongly with one person or the other, right? So that like, that is sort of a leap of faith that people sometimes have to take. Um, And the other thing that I'll say is sometimes I do take sides and I learned that from a really really super smart supervisor that I had that you should take sides sometimes when you're watching someone do something that's unhelpful. So that is sort of like an interesting thing in that if I'm watching someone be abusive, or if I'm watching someone shut their partner down, I do have to take that side in that moment because that's literally what they're paying me for to help them get unstuck. So there are, there are quite a few times where I take sides, but I take everyone's side as often as I possibly can. Um, so that's like the second thing I'll say. And then the last thing I'll say is I often take sides when I think context is missing. And so being a woman, I only know what it's like to be, you know, a white woman, right? And so if I'm working with a heterosexual couple and I think that I need to bring in context that the woman is trying to share, like let's talk, say division of labor, right? Many, many heterosexual couples struggle with equitable division of labor. It's a thing, it's been researched. It's not like, you know, <laughs> like a total, you know, rocket science type of thing, right? So if the woman comes and says, I am over-functioning and the, her partner who's a man doesn't understand that, I will help by saying, hey, this is a thing in our culture that women over-function because it's how we were raised, because of gender roles, because of the way our parents raised us. Like there's all sorts of contextual things that I very much believe is my role to bring up and just say like, hey, no judgment. I'm not taking sides, but here's a piece of this that you might be missing. Knowing that I don't have the male piece 
or the, the man piece as much, but that's why I have great, you know, colleagues that are men that will give me that piece so that I can tap into that headspace, which is harder for me to do. It is amazing how you point out that everyone's like we said, everyone's kind of afraid, not, I guess not everyone, but a lot of people are afraid that a therapist may take sides, but sometimes you do have to take sides in order to advocate for your um, clients so that they can communicate because Mm -hmm. if one person's being shut down or gaslighted or kind of ignored, then it's not that's not a good goal of couples therapy. You're not getting anything out of it. You're not going to get anything out of it. So that being said, do people often break up during couples therapy? Is that a common fear people have? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I always say to my couples, my goal is not to force them to stay together. That's not my goal in couples therapy. My goal in couples therapy is to help them live whatever life they want. And if that means they stay together, fantastic. If it means they don't, that's fine too. But I don't see staying together necessarily as the the only successful outcome. Oftentimes I've helped people realize, you know what, this isn't right. Um, Whether it's abusive or it's it's, um, just not a fit anymore, or they've fallen out of love or they can't get what they need from one another. I'm pretty non-judgmental when it comes to that very real possibility because I don't, I just don't believe the goal should be to stay together no matter what. That is so true. The goal should never be to stay in a situation that isn't good for either person. Right. So that being said, what are some of the goals that people should have for couples therapy? I don't think people know how to set a goal or an intention walking in. I think if I had to boil it down, it would probably be communication and authenticity. Like you want to be able to say like the real shit to your partner that is in your head that you're afraid to say that you'll say to me in secret, but don't want to bring to them, you know, like there's all sorts of stuff like that, that happens where when I get couples alone, they will be really honest and really authentic but they're still terrified to say it to their partner because they don't want to hurt them, which is totally understandable. And so, you know, for me, I'm trying to help people be as communicative, but as authentic as possible. And then whatever that leads them to is fantastic, but I can't, you know, I can be confident in some of my abilities. I can't be confident in the ability to to ensure that people stay together. And all of that being said, honest communication is the key. If you're walking into therapy and you're not willing to show up in a way that you need to, you're not willing to say what needs to be said, you're not willing to be honest about your feelings, you're not going to get much out of it at all. You're not going to be able to set a true goal. You're not you're kind of just wasting money and time. Absolutely. And that happens. It happens a lot where people show up and they're dishonest. And um, I can tell, you know, um, I can't always tell, but I can certainly tell a lot of the time. And when that happens, I just say to them, you know what, I get why it's so hard to be 
honest in this space, but if you're not honest, here's what you can expect to happen. And I'll just be really open with the consequences of not being honest, especially as it relates to infidelity, right? Like if you're still in an affair and you're telling me and us that you're not, I can't do anything about that. You know, that's not sort of my journey to go on. That's the person has to be able and feel safe enough to say, listen, I'm still in this thing. Exactly. When you are lying in therapy, especially in couples Mm -hmm. therapy, you're not benefiting you or that other person. And a lot of times people go in like feeling like they're really just going for their partner. They're just trying to satisfy their partner that they want them to go and they're just going to do it. And it's not a big deal. It's not important. It's not needed. And they don't want someone else in their business. So then they don't feel like they need to show up. So when someone comes in with that mindset and it's difficult to get them to want to really participate, what are some ways that you can kind of help them see the importance? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good question, but it's so such a complicated answer because there's there's a lot of different answers and there's also a lot of different schools of thought. So what I would say my approach is I used to work in a context where I would literally have to force people to come to therapy with me, which I talked to you about during the last episode, right? Now that I have a private practice, I don't have to force anyone to be here. So if you don't want to be here, that is a hundred percent your prerogative. So that's sort of the space I operate from now. And I do put pressure on myself to build credibility and to build rapport. That is my job. And so a lot of times I'll have someone that was sort of dragged to couples therapy by their partner, like you said, and um, they are not like totally loving being there. And I'll just sort of normalize that, but like, they didn't choose to be here. They didn't want to be here. They're wondering who the hell am I? Can I help them? And all of that stuff is really real. And it's my job to build credibility for them. If I can, that I can be helpful. And sometimes I can do that and their resistance breaks down and they start to trust me. And, and sometimes for whatever reason, I can't. Um, but it's, you know, it's not just on me. It's also on the person to come with an open heart into the process. And that's really hard and really scary, especially if you, you know, have been struggling in your relationship for a long time. Exactly. And normalizing that you might not want to be there. There is such a stigma on therapy. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that kind of doubles on couples therapy, because what if other people find out, or what if my marriage really isn't what I thought it is? And then I have to keep up this facade for everyone else. So people don't know. So then when you are able to actually normalize that inside couples therapy, that you might not want to be here. This may feel overwhelming or scary or useless or whatever to you. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's your prerogative to be here or not. That is so important because a lot of people feel trapped when they're inside a therapy session. Yes. Yes. And they feel judged and they feel terrified. And all of that is real. I've felt that before in therapy. And and so I know what that feels like. And so 
you know, my job is really to, as you said, normalize it, but all and validate it, but also like, um, yeah, like allow it to exist. And then at a certain point, they have to push past it or it becomes, you know, we can't do the work, which I will let people know, listen, if you're getting up 17 times during our session to, to do something else, or if you're playing on your phone, like I get it, I hear you. I hear that that comes from resistance, but like, I'm not a magician. I can't like, just be like, poof, heal. You know, it, it requires you showing up in a certain way, which people don't want to do. That's completely understandable. Exactly. And I love that you brought up the point that you're not a magician. You can't just, uh, you're healed. It's never going to happen that way. And I think a lot of people have this idea that when they walk into couples therapy, it's really going to be one or two sessions. They're going to figure it out and everything's going to be great. And that's not very realistic. So when someone is attending therapy, maybe for the stress and life events, what does that typical process look like? We talked about the assessment, but what happens after the assessment? Yeah. So the assessment is sort of like on my end, but on their end, what they have to do, the space that I have to get couples into is they sort of start from this place of like, okay, I'm going to bring my partner to therapy. And then the therapist is going to fix him or her or them while I watch. And that's not what's happening. And so people have to sort of really recognize that um, in a real way at first. So they have to increase their accountability around the problem. And that is my job to help them feel validated enough with how pissed they are or how upset they are or how worried they are and also increase their accountability at the same time. And so that's happening during assessment. Um, And then once we can get to a good place where, where couples can kind of say to each other and to me, all right, so how do we fix this? Not how do we fix him, right? Or how do we fix this other, the person next to me? Um, So once they start saying stuff like that, then I move them to more of like a skills-based vibe where we're practicing. So like based on the pattern at play of, what's getting them stuck, whether it, you know, it's usually sometimes it's like an anxious avoidance cycle where one partner is ramping up and the other partner shutting down and it, it just goes on and on and on. We will try and intercept that pattern using some skills. So communication skills, conflict management skills, intimacy and sex work. Um, what else is there? Problem solving. Um, you know, talking about fears, talking about dreams, um, ritual making, meaning making, all of that sort of skill-based work is really around the the goal of getting them unstuck. And then we move to sustainability because I don't believe that you should be in couples therapy forever. I think it can be detrimental to go for too long. And so what I want to do in sustainability is get myself out as as quickly as possible because people will start to depend on me and the session itself to fight or to bring up the hard stuff. And that's fine for a little bit, but they can't do that for the rest of their lives. Um, So then I move them to like, okay, I'm going to literally put myself on mute and you guys are just going to 
do this now. And I'm gonna like give you one of these when I think it's going well and give you one of these when I think you need to like lock it up. Um, and then, yeah, then that's it. First of all, I really want to zoom in on that sustainability approach that you take because again, a lot of people are afraid that they might be in couples therapy forever, that it's like this waste of money and um, they're afraid. And they think, can we ever get through this without couples therapy, without being in that therapist's office? And like you said, they begin to depend on you in that space to be able to have those tough conversations. Yes. So what are some warning signs as maybe someone who's in couples therapy that I might be depending too much on the therapy session to communicate? If they're not talking the entire week, except the therapy session that I see a lot, which again, has a really protective quality to it. If they get into these huge fights, physical or, or verbal, you know, I get it, right? Like I get the reason why they don't want to get into it without me there. And we need to move them along rather quickly so that they can start to build their confidence around, um, being able to do that. So that's one thing. Um, and then the other thing is, I don't know, maybe a lack of honesty, like, you know, someone is holding something that they're not sharing yet. And so they're just holding on to the therapeutic process because not all of it has come out yet. That I can see sometimes too. Those are really important warning signs and kind of like red flags that you're not, not that you don't have the goal for therapy to be able to get out of therapy and make a decision on the next steps and how you're going to work together or work apart. But a lot of people feel like they do have to hold something inside and then they're kind of testing the waters to see how much they can tell you and what you're going, how you're going to respond, if it's actually safe for them to say it, if it's safe for them to say it in front of their spouse. And that can extend that process, like you said, because you don't want it to end because you haven't gotten to that point completely. But what do you do while you're there? So for someone who is kind of struggling to figure out, can I open up? How do I open up? What should I say? Do you have any advice you could offer them to get to that point? Yeah, I would say trust the process. Trust the therapist to share in that burden with you, right? Like it is my job to help you open up just as much as it is your job to open up. And so if you're working with a therapist that for whatever reason you feel judged by, you feel unheard, you feel like what you're saying is always wrong and what the partner is saying is always right. Like it's okay for you to find a better fit. You know, there's good reasons why we don't feel safe in therapy. And a lot of times it's the therapist's fault. Um, Not all the time. It's sometimes the client's fault and sometimes it's both, but um, it's okay for you to, you know, reckon, you know, reconcile with the fact that maybe something's not right 
So that would be one thing. And then the other thing is, yeah, to trust the process and just, you know, you don't have to sort of like throw it all up on the first session. You can take your time. It's not like, you know, I'm not attaching electrodes to anyone and like, you know, seeing what's inside their brain, they can go at their own pace and that's fine. Um, but you know, it, it is scary and maybe just validating for yourself that it's scary. You brought up such an important point when you said that you might not find the therapist you're working with to be the right therapist for you. So what are some additional warning signs? You talked about them maybe agreeing with one side and never seeing both sides, but what are some additional warning signs or things to look out for, questions to maybe ask your therapist in the beginning to see if you might be a good match? Yeah, Um, I would say attentiveness is good. Like you need your therapist at the bare minimum to feel like they're listening to you, which is like kind of a dumb thing, but you would be surprised at how many people tell me that their therapist is just like on another planet when they're talking. So I would say that that's like step number one is just make sure your therapist is actually listening to what you're saying. Um, I would say you want to feel safe, but challenged, especially in couples work. So you don't want to feel so safe that you're bored you know, and not getting to the root of the matter, but you don't want to feel so challenged that you're freaking terrified before you get there. So it's like this weird balance of work, but, you know, feeling okay and stable enough. That is so important. It is so important to feel like you are getting through the work and you are feeling stable. And a lot of times people think that if they're kind of being pushed into the work a little bit, that maybe the therapist is being too aggressive, but you have to have that little bit of push to be able to get to the work and through the work because it's out of your, out of the box for you. It's out of your comfort zone. It is not something that you have done before. That's why you're here for someone to help you and guide you through it. So knowing that it's okay to feel a little bit pushed, but there is that boundary of feeling over pushed and over forced and not being seen and heard. Yeah. I mean, I would say, honestly, as I'm listening to you, the, the biggest, the biggest indicator that I have is like how it feels on that initial consult call. Like if you're a client looking for therapy in general or couples therapy, you should feel a good vibe on that initial consult call. That should be a really good indicator that like you should proceed maybe because if you don't feel good or if you feel, if something in your gut is telling you otherwise, it's good to listen to that. And it's fine to like try it out with different therapists but it really is about trusting your gut. If something feels off, you know what you're talking about. You know, like people get self-gaslight themselves all the time. When it comes to therapy, safety, safe challenging is like paramount. So I would say just trust your gut. And the best time to trust your gut is in those first few sessions. Exactly. Because you know what kind of energy you're going to match with. And it's okay if you don't match with the first therapist. 
I always say it's like dating. You're not going to necessarily fall in love and marry the person that you date for the first time, your first date, your first love. You're Mm going to try different people out and find someone that makes you feel safe and heard and seen. And it's that same process with therapy is it might not be the first therapist you try. You may try 10 different therapists, hopefully not, but you may. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean you should give up if it's kind of difficult to find the right one. They are out there. Yeah. I would say get a referral from people you trust, you know, like friends of friends. You know, I know people that like all the entire friend group uses the same therapist for their couple's work, you know, like that, that makes a lot of sense because once you find someone you trust um, and, and have really made progress with, like, you want to share that with your community. And so that's usually a good, a good place to go. Exactly. Referrals is so important. And a lot of people also feel afraid to reach out and ask one of their friends, who do you see? Because you don't want them to know. So what is maybe a way that someone could approach that conversation with a friend, a way that they could ask for a referral? Well, I think it's as much about that person that went as it is to the, you know, as it is, is the person who asked, right? So it's like, if the person who went to therapy feels safe enough and comfortable enough to share that experience, which I think, by the way, at least where I am, a lot, I'm seeing, at least in this generation, a lot more people feeling comfortable talking about going to therapy, talking about, you know, like, it, I'm just noticing it. And so I would say, you know, the, it's the fear of judgment, right? But hopefully, you know, in our, in our conversation, what I'm saying is like, it doesn't have to mean that something is glaringly wrong for you to go to couples therapy. I think that really is starting to change in our culture a little bit that like people are not going to couples therapy, you know, 35 years down the line, they're going, at least on my caseload, they're going like before marriage, one to two years into marriage, five years into marriage, six years. In, you know, it's not. Um, it's not like this, um, I don't know, really dark, dark place. I mean, it, it does get dark, but it's not, um, it's not that same judgment. I think, I don't think that judgment is, um, real in actuality. I completely agree. A lot of people are very open about therapy nowadays. I know I'm very well known for saying my therapist said as I start a conversation all the time. And that's how it is for a lot of people nowadays. So knowing that people are talking about it and it's okay to talk about it is so important. But you brought up another amazing point saying how people are starting to go to therapy before or one to two years in or five or six years So what may be some of those early warning signs that couples therapy may be a good option to try? Yeah, same fight over and over again, right? Like that's huge. If you're just having the same fight with your partner over and over again, no resolution, doesn't feel good, is feeling worse. That's a huge one. Um, You know, life transition, you know, if you're wanting to have a kid, if you just had a kid, all of those huge stressors are extremely volatile for, for relationships. Um, you know, so I would say that, um, 
yeah, I think just not listening, like not being able to take in what your partner is saying because you're so pissed. That's a huge one. Like that's called flooding and couples flood, get flooded a lot when they're fighting and just can't hear each other. So if you're fighting and you're like, wow, I blacked out. I have no idea what we talked about. That's a really good indicator that maybe something else is going on like trauma. Um, uh, I would say, you know, um, a lack of intimacy. That's a great time to go to therapy before it gets really, you know, really bad and years have gone by and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, there's life, life stages and, and, you know, stressors are huge. Um, and honestly, I would say like, if you think, should I go to couples therapy? The answer should be yes. You know, like just try it. There's like, there's very, um, I, I don't know if I can say this, but I kind of want to, there's like very little drawback to trying it. Exactly. And it's so important that if you're thinking about it and it's already a thought in your mind, it may be time to try it. And Mm -hmm. there's really no harm in doing a consultation call and seeing if it's right for you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that's, that's exactly right. Right. Just try it. You don't have to, you know, if it was you know, atrocious and it was horrible. Don't go back, but sort of like no harm, no foul. Exactly. So for someone who's listening to this and they're like, you know what? Maybe couples therapy is a good option for me. (laughs) What are maybe two or three action items that you could give to them to start that process? Talk to their partner, see how they feel about it. Um, I would say Google couples therapists in your area and read, read their profiles, read what they've written, read um, all sorts of stuff. And then I would, there's this really good podcast called um, Esther Perel's podcast called Where Should We Begin? That's an amazing podcast that is literally her taping her couples therapy sessions. And she's like, the most badass couples therapist there is. Um, so listen to one of those and, and that can really help break down that stigma of like, what is this going to be like? Because her couples therapy, um, process is very, um, approachable. It's not scary. It's not, you know, it's just approachable. So I would say those are probably the three action items. Those are amazing action items. You have been absolutely amazing and incredible as always. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for having me again. It was so fun. Anytime I'll come back.